0: So I was kind of meditating like I always do, asking the Lord, Father God, what do you want me to share with your people? And I could not shake this idea of hidden places, hidden places and hidden seasons and what God does in the hidden places and the importance of the hidden places and this idea that sometimes when we're in the hidden place, it can feel a little uncomfortable. And especially when we're about to be birthed forth, it gets a little uncomfortable, it gets a little tight in the hidden place, or we can feel like maybe we're supposed to be coming out of the hidden place, but God really has us there for a reason. Amen? And he kind of gave me this analogy of the womb first, right? He says, I knit you together in your mother's womb, in the secret place. In this idea or concept that a child or a human being starts with a single seed, and an egg, or a, 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 well, an, the egg, right, and the seed, right? And then that koinonia, if you will, happens, or very in, yada, <laughs> if you know the Hebrew. That intimacy occurs and fertilization happens, and in the secret place, something begins to be created. And sometimes, as Christians and as believers, God's called us to a season of being in a hidden place and being in a secret place, and we're like, well, God, I want to be here. I want to be there. I want to be up here. I want to be doing this. I want to be doing that. And he's saying, no, 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 baby. I've got you here for a reason. I've got you here for a season. This secret place has a purpose in your life, and it's protecting you while I prepare you for the platform that I'm calling you to. Amen. I love Proverbs 25:2. The glory of God to conceal a thing, but it's the honor of kings to search it out a matter. And I said to Brent the other day, he goes, Would you like to worship with me? I said, I would be honored and it hit me different when i read this today because we joked about it kind of he goes i don't know about it being an honor right but when i when i was studying this today it was like the lord was reminding me it is an honor it's an honor because in the midst of prophetic worship it's the glory of kings to seek it out. And it's an honor to listen and to lean in and to hear the voice of God and to say, Father, what sound do you want us to release? What word do you have on your heart? What rhythm do you want us to go at? What prophetic word do you want to bring forth? It's an honor. Because in those moments in worship, in those moments when we're walking on the highway of holiness, when we're walking in obedience, we're really leaning into those places where God has concealed things and we're beginning to hear his heartbeat, and we have the privilege of doing what Peter said, which is participating in the divine nature. We're seated up there in those heavenly places. We lean in and we hear the heartbeat of God, and he says something and we say it, and he shows us something and we do it, and all of a sudden here comes the whirlwind, The presence of God, the breath of God, the ruach of Elohim. And it creates something, just like in the womb. The very seed of Christ in us. And the word, as the word goes forth, it germinates and it begins to multiply And God does it in the supernatural. He does it in the heavens first, even though we're here on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. And our feet touch this earth, but our spirit's in heaven, and we say it, and something shifts. And in the secret place of the supernatural, in the secret place of the invisible, unseen, spiritual realm, God begins to birth something. And it immediately shifts, and it immediately occurs, and we have the privilege and the honor of participating in that process. Come on, somebody. Isn't that amazing? Does that blow your mind at all? I'm like, whoa, come on, somebody. I got a little Jesus on the inside of me, and he has set me free. I don't know why I'm singing so much today, right? Right? I'm telling you, it's in my bones, I guess. So I want to. Then he started to talk to me about the purpose of the womb. What is the purpose of the womb? You've got this beautiful human being, this new life developing on the inside of the woman. It's hidden, you can't see it, but nerves are being developed, and a skeletal system, and bones, and organs, and heart and lungs, and fingernails, and toes, and fingers, and everything that's needed to bring this ecosystem of the human being, this unique created thing that God wants to bring forth into the earth that has a destiny and a purpose to pass. It's being formed. But he forms it in a hidden place. And sometimes God will take us into a season, into a hidden place where he doesn't allow the people around you to see the things he's telling you, the things he's doing in your heart, the things he's Um, building in you, right? The corrections that maybe he's bringing or the glory he's forming in you or the character he's forming in you, the fear that he's working out of you because you're his child. And there's some things he just does in the hidden place. He's so good. I just keep thinking of that verse, love covers. And there's seasons where God just covers us and says, baby, baby, Child, that's all right. I got you hidden in this, and you and I know what's going on, and you and I know what we're working out, and it's okay. I see it. You see it. You're yielding to me. It's not where I want it to be yet but it's not where it was and you're on the way and I just want you to know I love you and my blood like Alan said is enough. My broken body has already paid the price and you're no longer sinful in nature but you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus so I'm going to finish this thing. I'm going to finish this thing so The purpose of the womb is to protect, right? That baby's real vulnerable when it's in the womb. And Paul talks about this. He says that there are certain parts that um, need no, they need discretion, if you will, certain body parts that need discretion that need to be covered and other parts that don't need it so much. Certain body parts like the lungs that are protected by the ribs, certain body parts like the heart that's protected by the bone, the chest cavity, needs protection. It needs to be hidden. And that, those things sometimes that God is doing in us, he wants to do them in a hidden place where you're safe, where you're covered, where you're protected. You don't want nobody seeing what's going on. Not everybody needs to know your business. Now, he will send a prophet if you ignore him and ignore him and ignore him ignore him. He'll throw your stuff out there in public for everybody to see. But that's not his first choice. Amen? He's such a good father so that's kind of the purpose of the womb it, it protects it hides it allows for us to come into full maturity before we're birthed forth into our purpose and into our destiny and receive the nutrients kind of through that proverbial umbilical core between us and father god right receive the revelation that we need, receive the love that we need, receive the nourishment that we need, so we can come to full stature before being released into who it is he's called us to be. And the benefits to the infant are amazing. It's safe, it's warm, you get to float around and just kind of enjoy yourself, you know. You get free meals. You don't have to even drive through. You got like an auto-connect right to Jesus. It just, you get fed whenever you need it. It's a beautiful season. If you're willing to enjoy it and you don't resist it, right? If you resist it, it can be really painful. It can be really frustrating. And you don't want to be born prematurely. Premature babies don't have full lungs, and then they can't breathe when they get out. Premature babies have heart defects and then they have a really hard life when they get out. Premature babies' skeletal systems and nerves don't develop all the way. And they have serious physical impairments when they get out. Premature babies have issues with brain function and they can't do relational stuff real well when they get out. And in the corporate body of Christ, so many times people don't want to stay in the hidden place all the way. We're like, Sticking her feet out. I want to come out the tunnel. I'm ready. And your mama's going, get back up there. You ain't ready, honey. You need to keep cooking. You're three, four, five months early. No, in Jesus' name. You know what I'm talking about? Can you imagine your little baby trying to stick her foot out? Let me out, let me out. You know? Be like, no. Stay put in Jesus' name. When it's time, the contractions will come, and you won't be able to take it anymore. And I'm going to want to get you out, and we're going to do this together. Right? Come on, somebody. Amen? So there's benefits to the baby. And then there's that beauty of the moment of birth. The word conceal in the original language is sathar. It means to hide. To hide oneself. To be carefully hidden and concealed to be in the covered place, come on somebody, and to, be un, to cause one to be undetected. Think about a babe. It needs to be concealed, it needs to be covered, it needs to be protected, it needs to be undetected from the enemy until it's fully developed and can come out into the atmosphere and survive and breathe and function and receive nourishment, right? It's the blessing of the Lord. And that moment of birth comes and the contractions come and that baby will know because it turns upside down. Everything in its world turns upside down. It's got all this pressure on its head. It's getting ready to be squeezed out the birth canal. The contractions come. The mama knows and the baby knows. Right? The breathing gets real labored and things just start to come forth. You don't have to force it. It happens on its own. Right? And then begin to ponder this idea of Hidden Seasons, and I started to think about my own Hidden Seasons, of course, that I went through, in the years where God had me doing children's ministry, nobody knew my name, nobody knew my name, and I just, the Lord said, are you going to feed my kids? Yep. You going to serve these homeless people? Yep. You going to go do this jail ministry? Yep. But they were all preparatory years. I was learning the Word of God. I was, I was growing in confidence. I was growing in wisdom and stature, learning how to do conflict resolution, learning how to lead as a servant. I was growing in the character of Christ. So the glory of God was increasing on in my life. And over the last 20 years, you know, there was a time when I would walk into a room and I would shake because I'd be all nervous, and there was still things in me that needed to be worked out. But now I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, the character of Christ is so solidly formed in me that I walk into a room, and the room shakes. And everything that's not of him literally shakes and moves and shifts. It's different. Because, you know, when God brought us to this building, he said, I bid you come and die that you may live. Now, I didn't know my whole marriage was going to fall apart. <laughs> but I literally died, and I can look back now, and I'm so, so thankful for every single horrible moment of it. I really am, because I wouldn't be the person I am today. I wouldn't carry the glory I carry. I wouldn't know the Lord like I know him. I'm so thankful for that birthing process I went through again, because it changed me. It allowed Christ to be formed in me to a measure that I didn't have previously, And I thought I was, I'm going to be honest. I mean, you know, we always think we're in a pretty good place, right? Yeah, I'm kind of pretty good in this area, right? But he's always bringing us into more of himself, more of his love, more of his grace, more of his glory. And I look at that really difficult season, and I'm like, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for the trial. Thank you for the persecution. Thank you for the difficulties. Thank you for squeezing me again in that final press, in the olive press. I remember thinking, there's nothing left to kill. And he's like, oh, honey, yes, there is. Yes, there is. And I thought, seriously, I'm dead. He's like, well, sort of. (laughs) And sometimes we're in those moments where you're thinking, I'm holy, I'm already dead. Surely there's nothing else to die on me. And and Jesus goes, oh, honey, there's more, right? And it's nothing to get discouraged about. And the more we go through the process, because it's cyclical, the more we embrace the cross and we cling to the cross and we say, This is actually my salvation. This is my place of resurrection. This is my place of glory. This is my place of power. This is my place of rejoicing. And like Paul, we can say, I press towards the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Not that I've already arrived, but that I press on. That Christ may live in me more fully. That I may give him the glory. Amen. And it becomes a place of celebration.
1: And there comes an ease to it. So
0: we've got all these people. You can kind of see the names there. We're going to talk through them. Moses, Abraham, uh, Mary, Apostle Paul, Hannah. All these people who had these hidden places, these things they had to go through. We're going to kind of turn there. If you want to turn to Acts 7, 23 through 31, we're going to start with Moses. Yep, I said X. When you're there, just say I'm there. Thank you. It says, When Moses was forty years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. And you gotta remember, he was raised up in Pharaoh's house. So even as a babe, he was sent down the alligator river because he was going to be killed, by faith, by his mama, was picked up by someone in Pharaoh's residence and treated as royalty. So his whole beginning of his life was a deception, thinking he was someone he wasn't, being raised in Pharaoh's home in a worldly way, right? Thinking things were one way and finally learning one day they weren't. So he figures out who he really is. He's got this Hebrew lineage, and it says, says, When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He learned he was a fellow. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Now Moses still had a little bit of Egypt in him, somebody. (laughs) That's all right. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, and they did not. And we've seen that in our nation, people trying to rise up and kill some things and destroy some things and act a certain kind of way thinking, surely my people and the people of this nation will realize that I'm trying to deliver them. And in some ways, we all start off that way when we're coming out of the world and coming into our destiny. That's how it looks. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just part of the process says, the next day Moses came upon the two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill us as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? In other words, we saw you. We know what you did. When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. He's like, he was on the run. He ran to his hidden place. It says, after 40 years had passed in his hidden place. Come on, somebody. An angel appeared to Moses in flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. And when he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice and God finally spoke. 40 years in the hidden place. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's all right to be hidden. There was a lot of Egypt that needed to be worked out of Moses, and it was okay. And God wasn't mad, and God wasn't sad, and God wasn't angry. Right? He did what he knew at the time that he knew it, the way that he thought he knew how to do it. And God's like, mm, I'm going to need to work this out of you. we got to get the Egypt out of you so I can send you back to set my people free. But it took a minute to work that Egypt out of him. He had a hidden place. The voice said, I am the God of your forefathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. So God speaks back to the very thing that was on the heart of Moses before he ran. He said, baby, I see it. I remember I care about the same thing you care about. I want justice where you want justice. But we're going to do it this way. We're going to do it my way. If you trust me, I'll use you. But you got to let me lead. Amen? So Moses, not only had that head in place, he he goes back and he trusts the Lord and the Lord uses him and he's all nervous. He says he's the most humble man on all the earth. The Lord uses them to bring plague after plague after plague. Can you imagine being a stutterer and being nervous and being raised in Pharaoh's house and then having to go back to the house you were raised in and tell them, the very people that raised you, that you probably love that God's going to judge them over and over and over and over again and then seeing them perish because they resist and they won't obey. Um, we don't talk about that much that must have been hard for him so he comes out of his hidden place and he gets platformed into his public ministry and it's all about the judgment of God and then the great deliverance comes and the people praise the Lord and the wealth gets turned over and it's super exciting and then they stuck in the desert with him for 40 years with them grumbling and complaining and mad at him right? and he probably thought his ministry, public ministry wasn't going to look that way so there's like seasons of these hidden places where you, 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 you're you hidden for a while and God covers you and he prepares you then he launches you and he platforms you then you get into the ministry and you're like this doesn't look the way I thought it was going to look. This hurts a little more than I thought it was going to hurt. This feels a little less glamorous than I thought it was going to look, feel and God's saying to you like he said to me I bid you come and die that you may live. We're called to pick up our cross daily. Jesus wasn't joking when he said that. Many are called, but few are chosen. The greatest among you will be servants of all. Right? It's the call. Laura and I joke about this all the time. It's the call. And when we understand the kingdom and that it's upside down from the world, you get to the place where the blood and his broken body is enough and you want his glory formed in you more than you want any of that other stuff that the world says is important. And you pick it up every day because you fall more and more in love with who he is. And you realize over and over again as these things press in on you that you need him or you're not going to make it. And then you start to get revelation of the reality of the price that he paid for you and you become more and more grateful, more and more grateful, more and more grateful, and there's an ease on it. And it's not so hard to pick up that cross because you're like, yep, been there where they are. (laughs) You're able to love him, you're able to love them, and it's a beautiful, beautiful cycle. So then Abraham, let's talk about Abraham. You can go to Genesis 12, 1 through 7. When you get there, tell me I'm there. Abraham was hidden. We've got all these great leaders in the scripture who had seasons of hiddenness. Genesis 12, 1 through 7, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go. Turn to your neighbor and say, Go. He said, go to the land I will show you. In other words, I'm not even going to tell you where you're going. Have you ever been there? God says, get up and go. But I'm not telling you where you're going. I'm not telling you what you're doing. I'm even hiding and concealing where it is I'm sending you and what it is your ministry is going to look like. But I expect you to get up to move your feet, to step out in faith, because I need you to trust that I am good. And when you do that, I'll show you the next step. I'll show you the next thing. I'll give you the next provision. Can you and will you trust me? Amen? I will make you into a great nation. So he motivates him with this seed promise. I will make you into a great nation. This is my promise to you. This is what I'm going to do. But I'm not going to tell you where I'm taking you. Will you trust me? And I will bless you, says the Lord. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Amen. And that's actually a promise for us because we're the seed of Abraham, by the way. All of us in Christ are. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, and all his possessions, and they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Now, the land of Canaan was full of giants. The land of Canaan was full of sex trafficking. The land of Canaan was a vile, vile place full of idolatry. And and that's where the Lord was sending him. Come on. Lord, what am I doing here? Lord, why did you send me here? Lord, this place seems like a hot mess. I think I might have heard you wrong. Maybe I'm in the wrong place. He says, I'm sending you out into the world, and there will be beasts that try to come up on this highway of holiness. But if you stay in that center place like we sang about today, if you stay plumbed with me, if you stay in that place of stillness, in the center of my will for you on the highway of holiness, no beast will be able to get up there on, on there and get you. I'll keep you. I'll bless you. I'll protect you. And he did that. He did that for Abraham. Abraham was 75 years old. Say to your neighbor, you're not too old. You're just getting started. That's right. Maybe you're 75. Maybe you're a little older than that, but I'll tell you what. Abraham was 75 when the Lord sent him. You're just getting started. And he had to fight all kinds of wars and he beat those five kings and you know, he messed up, and he lied here and lied there, got a little scared, whatever. But the Lord hit him, and the Lord covered him. The Lord protected him. And finally, one day, the Lord, angel of the Lord visits. Those three men came, and he cut covenant with the Lord. What happened? He says, you're going to have a son. And the promised seed came forth. And he thought it was, he said, well, you said I'm going to be a great nation, but it came in the form of a single son, Isaac. And sometimes we get to the place of our platform, we get to the place of our obedience, we get to the place of our mission and the ministry and the thing that God's called us to do. And we look around and go, Lord, this seems so small compared to what the promise was that you gave me. But the Lord says, I made you a promise. The promise shall come to pass. And it's all contained in the seed. Be faithful with the seed. And then one day the Lord says to him, I want you to take that seed. I want you to take your promise Isaac, this thing you love so much, this thing you trusted me this for, this thing I gave you. I want you to lay it up on this altar. And our promises are always tested. Is the promise more important or the promise giver? And there was another hidden moment. He didn't even tell his son that he was going to have to lay him on the altar. He didn't tell him. He didn't tell him. Going up the mountain and Isaac's starting to get suspicious. Lord, where's, you know, Daddy, where's the sacrifice? Well, the Lord's going to provide. Huh? It's hidden. It was hidden. And Abraham, against all hope, believed. And God did provide. And as we journey with the Lord into the fullness of our destiny, we have these moments and these hidden seasons that we have to persevere through. And Abraham had to persevere through that hidden season almost 25 years until he got the seed. The son, the promised son, that the nations would come through. And then he had to put that son on the altar. And when he obeyed and he said, I choose you, Lord. I choose you over my son, I choose you over the promise you gave me because you're the promise giver. The Lord said, now I know that you love me because you were willing to give me your son, your one and only son. Come on. And everybody's tests are different because everybody's hearts are different, right? So, Sometimes the enemy will come along and he'll say, look at so-and-so, look at so-and-so. Your life doesn't look like that. Your life doesn't look like this. Your ministry don't look like that. It's not supposed to. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Lord knit you together in your mother's womb to be exactly who you are, exactly where you are, doing exactly what he called you to do. You just do what God told you to do because your portion is important and every joint in the body of Christ supplies and we need you to be you. We don't need you to be me. We don't need you to be Laura. We don't need you to be Brent or Leah or anybody else. We need you to be you. Because you supply something that nobody else can supply. And really the whole process of being hidden is God getting you comfortable in your own skin. Getting you to the place where you're okay with who he made you to be and celebrating the realities of how Christ decides to shine through you with his glory. Turn to your neighbor and say, Neighbor? I need you to be you. Cause I gotta be me. And I can't make it without you. I cannot make it without you. And that's the truth. I cannot make it without you doing your part. You cannot make it without my crazy self doing my part. I know. Sometimes people wanna try, but here I am. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> Amen. You're welcome. <laughs> I love you. I'm going to skip past Mary real quick. I'm going to talk about Hannah. The Midrash says that Hannah, no, 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 let's not do that. All right, let's talk about Mary. Yes, Lord. Okay. So Mary had to wait. She has to tell her family, I got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Imagine having that conversation. How many people are going to believe you? Nobody. Mm-mm. they would be like, sure you did, Mary. And what's his name? Little girl, what's his name? Right? And the shame and the persecution. (laughs) It was so difficult. She actually leaves and goes to be with her cousin Elizabeth because she's like, I can't take this, man. It's getting hot in here. (laughs) And she had to wait nine months. She had to wait and see if her husband was going to leave her. She had to wait. She was in a hidden place. Waiting, trusting knowing she saw an angel, knowing God came and spoke to her, knowing she's carrying the Savior of the world, and yet everyone thought she was crazy. They wanted to kill her, literally kill her, and stone her to death. But she had a destiny. She was willing to be persecuted. She was willing to be misunderstood. And sometimes when we get that prophetic word and we, we, we get the calling in our life, we've got to be willing to be misunderstood. We've got to be willing to be hidden for a season. God hiding you sometimes is the way he protects you until you're ready for the birthing process, until it's time for those things to come forth. Even Jesus was hidden. He didn't start his public ministry till what, 30 years old? 30 years old. 30 years he was hidden, and he grew in wisdom and stature, and probably practiced all his little miracles at home on birds or whatever. Who knows? How did Mary know when he got to the wedding that he could make wine out of water? He was doing something at the house. I would have liked to live with him. Yeah, who knows? He's sitting there stirring it at home like something happened. How did she know? She knew. She knew. Why? Because when he was in the hidden place, he was being prepared. Amen? It's amazing. The Apostle Paul, go to to Galatians 1. The Apostle Paul had a hidden season. Right? You know them people were scared when he came in. I loved that word the Lord brought forth during worship about bringing in even the Manassas. We need them. You know why we need them? Because they know the occult culture. They understand the language of the people that need to come into the harvest. And it puts the full grace and glory of God on display. And if Christ paid the price, why not? Why not them? Surely the life of the Son of God is enough for even them. So you've got this idea of the Apostle Paul in Acts 1. And we'll start at, um, I'm sorry, Galatians 1. And we'll start at uh, verse, let's see, 11. We'll start at verse 11, 111, okay? And I'm just going to read to you a little bit of Paul's history. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. In other words, I got a word from the Lord. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And so many times we want to skip the season of the hidden place and be promoted to the platform, but our revelation comes in the womb. It comes in the hidden spot. It comes in the protected place. It comes in the place where God has you undetected and unknown. That's where we get the revelation that needs to come forth in the season of our, of our ministry time. He says, for you have heard of my previous way of life of, in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God, tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond any many Jews my own age. I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth, called me by his grace, say, I am set apart from birth. Yes, you are. Who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man. Say, I did not consult man. Listen, you do not have to get permission to do what God told you to do or to be what God called you to be. Now, is it good to get counsel? Yeah, sure it is. Do we need the rest of the body of Christ? Of course we do. But you don't need permission. Father, I just renounced that religious lie of the covering in the hidden place that says you got to be covered, you got to get permission to go and to do this. You commission, you send, you bless. And we loose the church from that lie in Jesus' name. We loose them from that spirit of control and manipulation in Jesus' name. And we say they are free to go. They are free to preach. They are free to say. And we bring them into right connection and communitas with the body of Christ in koinonia so that they go in counsel, they go in wisdom, they go in understanding, they go in revelation, they go in might, and they go in the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of the Lord. And they do not go alone, but they do not go controlled. He says, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. It goes on and says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. So he's out there doing what God told him to do for three years. Then he went back to Jerusalem. And it says to get acquainted with Peter, one of the apostles, one of the, on, upon whom, you know, the rock They call him, right? That's what the Catholic Church calls him, but you know, we know he was referring to Jesus. So he finally goes back to talk to one of the apostles after three years. He says, and he stayed, I stayed with him fifteen days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James and the Lord's brother. I assure you before the Lord that what I'm writing to you is no lie. So he's out there, he's obeying God three years. Not asking nobody's permission, the Lord finally sent him back three years later to talk to the apostles who've been doing what they've been doing, and he shares this revelation with them. He says, I was personally unknown to the churches in Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report that the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. Then in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, 14 years later... It was a hidden place. God gave Paul the revelation. He made him wait three years, finally connects him back to the apostles and the prophets. Then he goes out, he keeps ministering. 14 years later, he comes back to all the apostles and the prophets just to make sure... I am, what I'm teaching is true. Do you see the biblical precedents for this? And they, of course, affirmed it and confirmed it, right? And there's sometimes the Lord will keep you in a hidden place in your ministry and he won't connect you back to the supposed national ministries or the big name ministries for a reason. Because he doesn't want it tainted by the areas where they don't yet get it. He wants it pure. He wants it powerful. He wants it clean. He wants it exactly what he said he wants it to be, and he needs that foundation established in a hidden place before they come in and try to put their fingerprints on it because it needs to be exactly what he said he wants it to be. And that's not pride. That's not presumption. It's just obedience. So that hidden place sometimes of your ministry not being connected back can also be the protection of the Lord. Amen? And then Hannah. Wow, I love the story of Hannah. Turn to 1 Samuel 1. I love the heart of Hannah. I love the story of Hannah. I love Samuel. Such a beautiful, beautiful story. Such a beautiful picture of God's grace. Hannah means joy, by the way, the original language. So go to 1 Samuel 1 10 and 11. and I'm just going to read you the story because my sermon's kind of short today. But I want to read you the story. It says, There was a certain man from Ramathiam, a Zophite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, who's son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other, Panina or Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah had none. Somebody say, Hannah had none. hmm Hannah had none. And it looked like she was barren, and it looked like she was fruitless, but she had a heart for God. She had a love for her husband. She had a love for the father. It says, year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. Where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her. Somebody say, God loves me, and he's given me a double portion. Yes, he is. but the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate you. Some of you have some rivals that have been provoking you, trying to irritate you. This went on year after year, and some of you are going, yes, it did. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. And her husband would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? And to some of you, God is saying, son, daughter, why are you weeping? Why won't you eat of me? Why won't you come to me? Am I not imp- more important to you than that thing you're asking me for, that thing you're crying about, that thing you're seeking, that promise you're waiting on? Je shall not. And once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. And in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord God Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard, and Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, "'How long will you keep on getting drunk?' Get rid of your wine. And there will be seasons when you're so hungry for your promise, you're so hungry for the thing that God has promised to you, that people will look around at you and you're crying out to the Lord and your lips are moving and you're in the spirit and you're weeping bitterly and they don't understand and people are going to misunderstand you and say, what is wrong with you? You haven't gotten your promise. And the Lord allows it. But that wasn't her heart. So listen to her response. She was so wise. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed, Hannah was praying in her heart, her lips were not moving, he said to you, okay, why are you getting so drunk, get rid of your wine. And she, what did she say? Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled, and she goes on to explain her heart. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord, and there comes a point where you've been quiet and you've been quiet and you've been quiet and you've been misunderstood and misunderstood and misunderstood, and the passion of the Lord bubbles up in you, and you're finally able to say to the Eli's in your life, what you're saying of me is not so. And then she goes on and she says, do not take your servant for a wicked woman. She brings correction. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace. He didn't even, I don't think Eli was all too into this moment. He just said, go in peace. Kind of blew her off, right? Go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him, right? But the Lord took his words and made them a seed and did a work and gave her the very desire of her heart. And she said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went on her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast because even though the priest or the religious person at the post didn't understand her heart and didn't understand what she was going through and kind of gave her a nonchalant, you're going to get what you said kind of word, she grabbed it in the spirit and held on to it in the secret place and in the hidden place, and it gave her hope, and she received it for herself, and from that word... She was able to birth forth and and hold on to and receive her promise. Come on. It says several months later at the appointed time, she gave birth to a son. And she got her promise from the Lord. Amen? David was in the cave with his warriors in a hidden place, being persecuted by the one he was called to serve. I want to read Hannah's prayer to you because I think it's timely with what's going on in our nation. We we talk about Colossians 1, 24 to twenty-eight all the time. I'm going to turn there first let me let me mark this because I want to come back to Hannah's prayer. It's just beautiful. But go ahead and go to Colossians 1, 24 and twenty-eight. Okay? We talk about Christ in us, the hope of glory. But listen to the context of this. This is Paul. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. Paul had been in his hidden place, he got to his platformed place, he had been persecuted like you know we all are when we come into position. And he says now, now he gets to the place where he can rejoice in what he suffered, right? He's on the back side of the suffering. He's on the other side of the trial of the difficulty of the things that he lost. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden from for the ages and generations but is now disclosed to the saints, to them who God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ to this end I labor struggling with all his energy not my own because I know it's him now with all his energy which so powerfully works within me. We come out of this hidden place. We come through the persecutions. We get on the other side of him and we get to this place where we realize it's his energy in us. The grace is us to continue to do the thing that needs to do so the body of Christ can be built up into the fullness of who it is God's called them to be. It's his glory. It's his grace. It's his might in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And I love this. 1 Corinthians 2 8. Go back a little bit there. 1 Corinthians 2 8. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I love this. Paul says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. Turn to your neighbor and say, among us, the mature. But not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Say, they're coming to nothing. Nothing. It doesn't matter who comes against you. It doesn't matter what the enemy throws at you. The the rulers of this age are coming to nothing. That means no thing. Come on, somebody. He said, no. We speak of God's secret wisdom. A wisdom that has been, what? Hidden. And that God destined for our glory before time began. He said, none of the rulers of this age understood it for if they had they would not have crucified the lord of glory and the enemy is so ignorant he hasn't caught on to the reality that when he persecutes us we just look more like jesus and if he understood it he would stop (laughs) but he doesn't so thank you i rejoice in these sufferings thank you I rejoice in these trials. Thank you. I rejoice in the hidden place. Thank you. Because greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world. And Christ literally is foreign to me every single time he comes against me. And when God's got it hidden from him, he conceals me. He conceals you from him. He allows him in his pride and in his arrogance to come against you again and again and again. And all it's doing is making you a weapon fit for the work. Forging you making you who you're made to be for the day of your destiny. And he hides you until it's time for you to come forth. And some of you, it's time. Some of you are coming forth now. Some of you, you're still in the womb, and it's okay. Don't hate the day of small beginnings. Stay there. Embrace it. Receive the fullness of the revelation, because we don't want you coming out half-baked. We need the fullness of the revelation he made you to carry. Amen? Come on. You remember, the what are the, What was that little Susie Homemaker oven thing where you used to? It's easy bake. We don't want you easy baked. There's no easy bake in the kingdom. And remember how nasty those were? You put that cake in one side, it come out the other side, and it ain't all the way cooked. It was disgusting. Right? In the spirit, sometimes we want to go through our little easy bake oven and just float out on the other side and come out tasting like a nice, fluffy, yummy... Professional chocolate cake, that's not how it works. You got to get whipped up a bit, stirred up a bit, mixed together a bit, mulled over a bit. You got to rise up a bit. Takes time. Come on, amen? And there's no shame. There's no shame. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. All that to say you're coming forth and you're coming forth in your time and the very same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and you are called to do great exploits in his name and your season is coming. Stay where he tells you to stay until it's time. Wait on him. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not be faint. They will mount up on wings of eagles. Come on, somebody. Thank you. Check out this song from Hannah's heart. After waiting and waiting and waiting for her promise, she has a prayer in 1 Samuel 2. I'm going to read. I've got the first part of it here up on the, slide, but I want to read the entire thing through because I really feel like it's a word for our nation and the nations of the world right now. She said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in whose deliverance? Your deliverance. But if she tried to birth it in her own time, or tried to get pregnant in a different way, and hadn't waited on the deliverance of the Lord, she would have missed her Samuel. She would have had an Ishmael. But she trusted in the deliverance of the Lord. She trusted in the timing of the Lord. She trusted in the heart of her Lord, and he brought great glory, great blessing, great exploits. And she got exactly what he said she would get. And he honored her, and her horn was lifted up. And she was able to graciously boast over her enemies for she delighted in his deliverance. And boasting doesn't mean we necessarily say something and boast with our mouth, but God does the boasting through our circumstances. We don't even have to say anything. They look at our life and it's a moment of vindication where they say, wow, look what God did. That is miraculous. It is beautiful. It's a turnaround. That had to be God. Hallelujah. Amen. And I just want to say to you, your day is coming. You've been hidden and it's okay because God is going to lift up your horn and he's going to allow your circumstances to boast over your enemies and they will see and they will know that he has been with you, that he called you, that he healed you, that he's positioned you and that he's sending you out with power, that he's answered your prayers and he's done his miraculous and beautiful and divine work in you and he'll do mighty, mighty exploits through you. Because that is why you were created. That is why you've been asked to stay in the hidden place. That is the reason for persevering so that Christ in you is formed and that is your very hope of bringing forth his glory and be a conduit of his glory so that he can draw all men unto himself. Amen. So I just want to, we're going to wrap up here, but I just want to read the rest of Hannah's prayer. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. Isn't that beautiful? In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. In whom? In the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly. I love that part. Mm-hmm. I hear that as a word. Like God's saying that to the principalities, to the powers, to the rulers of this world. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows Say it out loud to your enemies. Say, he knows, he hears, he sees, and in the Lord, he's lifting up my horn. Amen. And it says, and by him, deeds are weighed. And I'm remembering that scene with, with the finger and the writing on the wall with Daniel. Mene, mene, tekel You've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. You've misused the items that were intended for the sanctuary of God, for the temple of God. And in that particular story, that king was drinking out of the holy vessels, yes, he was misusing the vessels of God. We've got people in the church and people in the world that are misusing the vessels of God and we're in a season where God is writing in his own handwriting, with his own finger, his prophets on the wall and saying, mene, mene, tekel, person, You have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. And I'm shaking and resetting the nation and removing you because you did not... Honor my vessels, my holy vessels. You did not bless my holy vessels. You did not keep my kingdom order and now I'm removing you. And I'm putting in my righteous ones. And I'm shifting things and putting them in order. And you could have been, but you chose not to be, so you're out. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. It goes on and it says, the bows of the warriors are broken, hey. But those who, Who stumbled are armed with strength. Say, I am armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry hunger no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. And I just hear the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous and we call it into the homes and the banks and the coffers of the righteous today in Jesus' name. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts up the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and I hear and kings and queens. And presidents, amen. And has them inherit a throne of honor. Say, by the grace of God, I am inheriting a throne of honor. Which brings us right back to the beginning. It is the honor of kings to search it out. And we are honored to be seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. It goes on to say, for the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Amen. And we just say that over this world, over this nation, over the earth. The foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Hallelujah. And upon them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his saints. Father, we thank you that you guard our feet. It says, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. Hallelujah. It is not by the strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. And I hear shattered this year. He will thunder against them from heaven, and the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king. Hallelujah. Ooh, I just saw HRH's face. That's a confirmation. I just saw his face. And exalt the horn of his anointed. Hallelujah. And exalt the horn of his anointed. And there are those of us, a remnant, who stayed in the secret place, who stayed in the hidden place until the Lord decided to birth you you forth and bring you forth, and the Lord says it's time. You've finally gotten the place where you no longer live and I live in you. You are my anointed, my anointed one has been formed in you and now I'm sending you forth. Thank you for listening today. Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what He wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God, all things are possible. So keep dreaming. Keep praying and simply obey, because God is good. And he has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, learn about our speakers, and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, and more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled, Listener Support on Every Podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, have a blessed day.